Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. Each week, we bridge the gap between science and in-the-trench experience for physique enhancement. I'm your host, John Jewett. Let class begin. Welcome, everyone, back to the J3U Podcast. I'm your host, John Jewett, and with me is co-host Luke Miller. Luke, what's up, man? Not much, man. Uh, a long couple of weeks of travel and seminars. Now a nice little conversation about one of our favorite body parts to train, huh? Yeah, today we wanted to talk about quad training. And uh, it was cool. Luke and I just went up to, well, he's, uh, he lives in Dallas. I, I went up to Dallas and got to be part of the seminar with him. And we talked a lot of actually kind of like quad training, squat mechanics. It's a cool turnout. I, I had so much fun up there doing that and just talking live with people so we definitely want to want to do more of these so any you listeners that just want to come see us live and and talk nerd stuff you'll have to get more more involved and, and check them out but it was like it was exhausting man like i i slept so shit up there um <laughs> for one like uh overthinking everything i had to talk about the next day so i slept crappy then afterwards, I was so excited about all the things that I could do. I slept crappy again and just wake up <laughs> and like, I need to jot this stuff down. And so uh, when, I, when I came home, I'm like, I can't wait to get some great sleep. And Renee and I went out and it was like her celebration for Tampa because she hasn't been able to really do that yet. So we went to yeah. all, all kinds of different restaurants <laughs> we went we found an awesome sushi place that we'll have to go to when you come down but yeah, they had sure. like some high-end rolls like lobster um, and truffle oil like it's not it's not all you can eat but it's definitely like you pay for like this high level quality uh, we found a cookie place then we went to the cheesecake factory and uh because there's three we wanted to try and we did the white chocolate raspberry the recent okay. peanut butter one, and then that Cinnabon, Cinnabon one. I think the Cinnabon one actually was the best that we tried. Super sweet. Yeah. Super sweet. Though. Yeah. Like two bites and you're done, but yeah. Type of next time we it'll have to, to be another up. place to try a Detroit style pizza. Oh my God. <laughs> it was like little, like we wore the little sizes, right? It was like, but it was kind of like cheesy bread pizza. Have you ever had a Detroit style pizza? No. Is it like thin? No, no, it's thick and it's square. Oh, no. Yeah, they, Sounds in, in Detroit, it came about by like when they would, um, from like working on cars and they'd have like a pans that would throw like nuts and screws and, and stuff in. So I guess they started, they, someone like brought home this like pan from their automotive parts and that's what they made it out of this like, it's like a, almost kind of like a cast iron skillet cook right so it and then yeah. they, it's all it's a like a thicker bread and they put cheese all around it so it like caramelizes and, and blackens kind of around um and then okay. it's uh cheese and sauce on top so it has like kind of a chicago aspect to it but it's a, a yeah. very like it's almost like a french bread type of crust that's really cheesy um Okay. it's really good it just i still like normal pizza though that was like a cheese stick to me so anyway um i'm a mellow mushroom guy i have one down here i've never tried it it's good we'll, we'll make sure that happens close <laughs> to Olympia. yeah we'll make sure that happens close to Olympia. 
But anyway, you, oh, you, you, uh, you those, those Delta 8 THC gummies? Oh, I didn't. Nick. Oh, you I didn't just, one. I, I can't do that stuff, man, but Emily does it. Emily will do it. And like one of the big things is like the sleep parameters. We, we had a chat about this before is like how much people are improving sleep qualities with that relative to the gummies that are THC derived from like weed. So like indica gummies, like it's very common to see people with like indica gummies. Um, and I'm just finding that anecdotally, like the Delta eight dries better sleep. And like Nick said the same thing only says the same thing when she has it. So it's interesting. I can't fully mechanistically explain the difference, but. Well, there was a, there was a store. Uh, I was like, Oh, look, this botanical store. Let's get this gummy and try one. It was like, I, I thought it was like, I've taken some CBD stuff. I thought it was going to be like, Oh, this light relaxation. Like, dude, we, we were, we were fucking high, like straight. <laughs> <laughs> Um, like it was kicking out like, Oh God, that's cool. I feel relaxed. By the time we got to like, we took a walk by the time we got to bed, it was like high to where, like, if you took a step, all of a sudden you're in the next room, you're like, Fuck, like, you're just like spacing out. <laughs> it's like, I was like, did not, I didn't want that. <laughs> didn't expect it. Um, I was out cold, fucking cold out coma. And uh, woke up crazy groggy and was like that for like until like 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Unproductive in work because I was still like, I think I woke up high. I, you know, like, <laughs> um, like it was crazy. Like this stuff is, it, it's still like a THC, but yeah, it's just it like is. whatever. It's like the double bond is in a different carbon versus like it's del Delta 9 THC is from you know marijuana but this one's from hemp right yeah yeah but anyway last yep. night a quarter gummy because i'm i'm totally weak i guess I know. <laughs> whatever like 6.25 milligrams and uh that was good so i'm actually functional day i can articulate my words and thoughts <laughs> but anyway oh i want to tell you about that um, i know that's we are very far away from quad training but um anyway <laughs> quad training that was the topic of the day kick let's us rock. off Luke. <laughs> let's let's get into quad training now so four quad heads mainly five if you want to go searching down the deep realms of what they found in an anatomical perspective on some individuals but we'll talk four because that's how most people understand it um one of them crosses the hip right so when we talk about stretch position versus shortened position, flex hip versus extended and extended knee, fully shortened, then extended hip, bent knee, so flex knee, fully stretched. So we never really see full end range, in my opinion, for a quad on both ends. We get a little bit closer to a shortened end range with the quad extension. Stretch end range, if we're honest with ourselves, is more like a sissy squat. So when we talk about programming squats with end range in mind it's probably more mid to end range um, but i think one of the biggest things we need to lay out first is um, what are the problems that people typically have when it comes to developing quads 
and then build out some solutions in the way that we structure sessions around that. Because I think that that's probably going to provide the most value when it comes to actually writing your sessions for quad development. Yeah, I think uh, just knowing the anatomy can help a lot of people up and, um, you know, where setting up, I think setting up alignment too. Yeah, for it sure. It's be the biggest thing where we're looking at for machines. And, you know, I always, I, I like for people that have weak quads, it's always, you know, hey, are, why are you getting poor activation within that? Is that like part of the problem? Is it just a setup issue? Um, maybe it's just poor exercise choice. So there's kind of a, a list that we can go through of why that might be happening in the first place. Um, it's kind of what we went through in, in the seminar, right? So like what is going on with it within the pattern that you're not getting good quad engagement to begin with? Um, and it's that of, started with it? <laughs> yeah, so I think a lot of it's going to be like capacity based, right? Like, do you have relative internal rotation capacity to fully reach depth without excessive hip extension or having to squat in this A-frame pattern, um, which is going to shift a lot of tension towards your your glutes obviously we can have an argument of whether it loads a stretch glute or not in that a-frame it probably doesn't as much as a normal squat stance but you're you're relying on the structure of external rotation and hip extension in order to move within these patterns because you lack the function and as a result probably don't develop quite as much quads um and this is where a lot of times like you'll see people with better glutes who don't have like the best quad development right it's because there's yeah. a lot of tension there um and so it might be like a functional assessment to start. Like, where do you lack? Um, and, and, and then build out some ways to improve that over time, but you still have to output within the session first. And so then you start going down the path of building actual connection. And so we kind of touched on this is like addressing the short in range first to build that proprioception capacity of, oh yeah, that's my quads, like get it really short while it's fresh, create that neural capacity before we go into the output pattern and then choose the exercise selection that biases that as well, a little bit better than other patterns. Yeah, I think just speaking on here, it's probably hard for people to, to assess that functional aspect without like really showing it. So I yeah. think you just, you just have to dive into like, the setup, mm -hmm. right? um, which prioritizing any body part, it's something that we want to be training first and foremost. Mm -hmm. So I think that next conversation goes like, well, what do you pick for a first exercise? Um, and you know, with, within that, usually we want look like Luke's saying like, um, parts that uh, movements that we can pick that like for one align well with our, our structure and within that alignment that should also allow us to get like a full range of motion at the knee without compromising other areas of like your lower back rounding or whatever that may be so we want something that aligns well that gets us a full range of motion that with is within our ability to do for like bracing so that's like has been the argument like should you squat or should you not squat well, it depends if you can brace well for the movement and, and be able to give the output through your quads, then it's a good movement. Um, if you can't, well, that's an issue to address for one. 
but then we can have you working in a movement that's more braced until you have the ability to use it or just make sure you don't have weaknesses within that. And so, and, and what I mean by that, like, is, is the back squat a bad movement or, or the hack squat? It's like the back squat can be a great exercise if it aligns well for you and you can move through a range of motion that biases the quad. And for some people, it just doesn't. Like if you have someone that's really long femured or taller guy or like um, a short torso, like that might be a very bent over squat that's very hip dominant, erector dominant. So it might not be a great, great choice. Now you have someone that's built with like short legs, long torso, that squats super upright, and they have a ton of knee, knee, knee uh, flexion, that could be a great quad movement for them. But if that same person can't brace and stabilize the core, and so once they're getting up to a load where that, that you get a good output from the quads, that their core crumbles and then they like your butt kicks up and then it, it not loading the quads as efficiently or they get injured. Well, then that's probably not the best movement. We should move them to something like a hack squat or a pendulum squat. So I think regardless, some type of squat pattern is usually a good first choice. And that's then we're de- trying to determine like which squat pattern and it's going to be based off of, does it train the intended muscle? What's the range of motion? How does it align with your joints and within your abilities? And then, then looking at that, that bracing component. So, <clears throat> yeah, within that, we have a few options to pick from for, for squat patterns for quads, right? Yeah, quite a bit. And, and so there's the individual component that you really just have to assess for someone. But I think um, if I had to give out some, like, favorites, starting points, um, cause I, I don't know if the back squat is a starting point. I mean, yeah. it could be, I think it's a great ass- assessment point. Like, like our man, assessment, Nick. <laughs> yeah, assessment tool starting point, but not an output starting yeah. point. From us. Like arguably, I think, uh, the, like the, uh, I think the pendulum squat is like on the very top of my list from what it provides <clears throat> as far as, the, for one, most of those machines are pretty adjustable on the platform. So you can have, you know, good a- ankle dorsiflexion, plantar flexion, and it, it won't be a limiting factor as much. It also um, is well braced. So hips are back on, on, a, on the pad. Um, shoulders are braced. It's nearly like a leg press, but it's an improved leg press because of the arc that it travels in which can allow for a lot of knee flexion with someone that if they normally like in a leg press or a hack squat, that might be a really limited component. Um, and then it also, as you go down it, it the only disadvantage I see is it, it lets off a little bit at the very, very bottom. However, it can be a good point. Like if you have some, some issue with being in the, in that bottom stretch position and having poor like end range strength, that it, it it's a good and bad thing right because you want to develop that but at the, at the same time it's kind of a safety component too like the most compromising position is when you're deep in the hole in the squat it lets off a little bit load and, and that can be kind of a safety component but then as you come up it loads pretty heavy mid-range which i think it from a hypertrophy aspect we want to load the muscle the, the most get the most tension and produce the most force in that mid-range to lengthen range and so you, you check off that block with, with the pendulum. So 
with the pendulum, you have a movement where you get a large range of motion at the knee. Um, you have it loading, you know, mid range where you want it. It's braced and you can easily align yourself within it to, to suit pretty much most, most structures. Yeah. Um, so I think that would be my, the top, top of my list. I don't know if you have any arguments against that being at the top of the list. I don't, I would just make the clarification that it's one of the top of the list because of the drop off at the bottom allows you to teach the cueing of foot pressure that's needed to activate the quads in a squat pattern. So like for people who don't have a pendulum, people that that's going to be like a reverse banded hack is how I'm teaching that. Right. Cause not every gym has a pendulum squat. And so we're basically looking at mimicking the profile of the pendulum within the hack squat and then trying to address whatever keeps them from hitting depth within like the reverse fan, allowing them to access places they haven't been before. Plus creating the contraction out of the bottom where it's shit's more than likely to go wrong and then progress them from there. Right. And so I think the, the only argument I would make is that the pendulum is the best starting spot, but it's not the spot we should permanently stay. Yeah. And you know, like, like with anything, it's not like, here's your list. That's what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Uh, these, these movements should be, should be rotated uh, for variety and just re repetitive, you know, uh, use aspects. But um, I think also just to, to develop like what we were talking about in, in their seminar about uh, developing full function of all the, all the musculature that is needed to function in the straight line. So like, yeah, at the knee, it just, you know, knee flexion extension, but like we, we, like we talked about, there's all these other muscles preventing it from rotating around or preventing your knees from caving in or knees from, from coming out. And that's why we see that happen in those movements that aren't as braced of that. You, you have weaknesses within that are your, your rotary muscles that, you know, controlling internal, external rotation of the knee. You get loaded in the hole and you don't have that component strengthened and your knee shoots in or it shoots out or whatever it may be, your hips shoot up. And that's when you're like, get injured or like, oh man, this hurts my back. I'm not going to do it. And you move to a pattern where it's easier to, you don't need as much of that rotary component. So it's easier to stay in the straight line. But at some point, if you get load high enough, th those discrepancies will still show up. So you haven't solved, solved the problem, but what, what Luke is saying is like, you know, these movements where you can decrease load in that area where you see that discrepancy happen, you can work on giving those cues to help someone build that component and just have the proper form doing it. But within that, you still need to be addressing other functions of strength that keep you in those lines. But um, I think that's important. Like even with the squat, what you said, the cueing, right? So yeah. where, where, where should pressure be in the squat? Does it just go up and down? Um, so, you know, what was your cueing that you used for the, for at least foot pressure in all the squats? So basically like it's, it's going to be dependent upon where you're at in the squat, but a lot of times I just teach it out of the hole because people pretty much at the top kind of do it automatically. Like they kind of engage their glutes, they push out, and then they hold that push out all the way down to the bottom, which is where we start getting some of that leaning into the external rotation pretty hard. You're cueing like this screw into the floor type of a thought process. But when we kind of start to approach depth and that internal rotation has to start to kick in, we want to cue like big toe down 
as long as big toe down doesn't lift pinky on the op, pinky toe on the opposite side. So that's that pronation that allows you to hit depth because if we constantly cue pushing out, we're actually limiting our uh, subtalar joint from creating dorsiflexion. So you're fighting an uphill battle. So foot pressure for me is like midfoot. So it shouldn't be driving onto our toes or way back on our heels, midfoot and cueing that toe down. Um, and you can typically feel this like progressively more with the more flat foot your shoe is. However, I would proceed with caution because more flat foot will drive more pronation without you trying. So um, there's a propensity to over pronate. You could cause an injury if you've been training in Jordans, right? So um, that big toe is the foot pressure cue that I typically use it. Typically people click with. That's, that's a transition in the movement pattern. Yeah. Right? So at the top of the movement, you kind of have equal foot pressure, pressure for the most part. Mm -hmm. Between like heel, pinky toe, big toe. As you're squatting, you start off start off the squat with this slight like external rotation, contracting the glutes. That brings you down closer to depth. But that last few inches is this slight component where you're rolling the foot a little bit more pressure onto your big toe. Mm -hmm. Out of the hole, that should be the foot pressure you feel. Heel. Pinky toes there, but but a good increase in pressure to the big toe. Yeah, which is why I was saying I cue that more than the other because most people come off a rack or come off a hack and they immediately go out with their foot mm -hmm. pressure, right? So um, typically people do the first three quarters of the movement or first half of the movement or wherever pretty, pretty well. And then it's just learning that transition. Yeah, I didn't know that. And that's a complicated way to like – had to think about all that shit while you're lifting. And so uh, most people don't. So I think just having like the one cue is, is helpful, but I, it's important like to address that because of why you're setting up a reverse hack in the first place. Right. And yeah. for, if you're seeing people with those issues, it can help, help them coordinate that a little bit, a little bit easier without having such a dynamic lift. But um, if we're getting back to like the output side. Mm -hmm. For sure. I see everyone's using like a reverse band along everything, uh, but then a lot on the hack and that's just become like, that's the best way to set up the hack. And arguably I would say that's not the best way to set up the hack. Um, because I, I think the, the reverse band you actually would be producing for one, there's less load in the bottom. And so we know like the, the muscle at close to full length, has the greatest potential to produce force. So you're now, and it's at, at its strongest point. So at the strongest point where you have the greatest ability to generate force, you're decreasing the load the most. So it's kind of the opposite of what you, what you really want. Now, arguably you, you're trying to match the strength curve, right? Well, when I get stuck in the hack on free weight, it's not right out of the bottom ever. It's, uh, it's always kind of mid-range is where that sticking point is. So you're, you're still like, if, if anything, you'd want to set up that band to maybe where it just catches a little bit, but still, I don't think that's the best way I would, I would argue just, Hey, just do free weight or um, set a band from the bottom, bottom pulling the weight stack down. So at least it's not lit, like, you know, storing that potential energy within the band and mm -hmm. shooting you out of the hole. 
And so you can use the, the momentum from the band to keep lifting. Uh, I would say doing the opposite could be a much more challenging way and, uh, and pr have to produce a ton of force that way. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I would go with the no band as the best option for output because it's the purpose of programming a squad is addressing mid to lengthened. Yeah. And like that's just the setup that's going to allow for that the best. Right. And then from there, like if you want to get output matching a strength curve, band your leg press after you squat. Right. And that's kind of the setup I run right now is a banded. So the way you said like attaching from the bottom, I, I squat and then I do a banded leg press. Yeah. Yeah. I think trying like the idea of trying to like match the, the strength profile resistance profile of the hack is like, you're really trying to overload at the very top. Once you get past that sticking point, which at that point you're getting to a point where you're really like starting to stack joints and getting mechanical advantage. I think just going to a movement that just loads that part of the range a little bit more efficiently would probably be your best bet rather than making the hack less efficient. So if you yeah. really want to load like the shortened phase of the quad, it's like just go do a set of leg extensions at the end of your workout. I think that would, would, would cover that ground for you well. Or it's the, the leg press, which I want to hit all of our squats first before we jump to leg press. So we'll get back to leg press, but there's another like squat I like wanted to bring up because you brought up hack squat because a lot of people will have hack squats, right? If you don't, because the pendulum is the rare, more rare find. Yep. Um, but a lot of people might not even have a hack squat or, or now they might just have their garage gym. So I think an actual squat pattern or even out of a Smith squat would, would be a good choice. And I think setting it up to where you have a quad emphasis and what would be the best option. So I would think probably a heel elevated, a slight heel elevated. So maybe like, you know, a one inch, maybe two inch max with a safety squat bar mm -hmm. would probably be other top of the list if we needed a free weight squat. Um, I would agree. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to say something on, you're going to have to disagree sometime. I think it also depends on how someone moves with a safety bar. Right. I, only reason I tend to say safety bar for our population is because they typically positionally stay a bit better in under a safety bar, like dropping into the hole, they stay in a little bit of a positionally better spot. But I know some people who high bar better than they safety bar. And in that case, it's like, mm, just high bar. Like that's like, that's your best bet. Right. So yeah. I would say they're almost equals depending on how you move within the pattern. I would argue most of the people that are listening to this conversation probably don't move in a high bar very well. So safety bar is probably the way to go with that slight hill elevation. Yeah. I think just, just getting under the bar for a lot of us bodybuilders, like the shoulder mobility aspect, it just, Oh man, it cranks. Yeah. And then you like push, push day, right? Yeah. And that, and like from a programming perspective, like if you have someone who has weak quads and then weak push body parts, like that's net load, loading a squat bar yeah. on the joint. Like, I don't care how you right. It's not active training of the shoulder joint, but it's net stress on the shoulder joint. It's going to take away from your capacity to output and or drive that vector up. So this is why you'll see like I'll commonly try to like in, in phases where I'm driving pressy very heavily, 
I'll try to avoid the need to use that um, a lot. So it'll be like, so like one of the reasons I'm using the Smith is because I can do like a soft position, yeah. right? Like I don't have to crank that elbow. I can just kind of let it sit there. Right. And um, obviously like ideally I'd be cranking it a little bit, which I do to create that lat pressure, yeah. but I'm not having to stabilize the free bar. So net systemic on me is a lot less. And there's some other things too, but um, safety bar is probably your best bet from uh, not affecting your other sessions as well. As far as like net systemic stress on like your net systemic net local stress on your shoulder complex. Right. I think even with the Smith, you could use like um, wrist straps and loop them on the bar and then just grab the strap in front of you. Of course, you need someone to unhook it and hook the Smith for you. Um, but if you can't get under the bar, that could be an option. I think there's also something called a man array that yeah, snaps. Attachment. Yeah, it snaps on the bar just to make it high bar. Um, and then there's even another attachment to turn a Smith into like a safety squat. Like it just has handles, right? So you can rotate the handles. I, I saw something like that. Um, so that's some options. Like if you just need a little investment in yourself and bring something to the gym, that could be a simple thing to throw in the, in the gym bag. But the only other thing that I've, I've had issues with the, the safety squat bar is it tends to want to pull you forward and go into thoracic like flexion. So you like thoracic extensor muscles can get worked pretty hard. Um, and, and so it, I guess it depends on programming that like if, if like back is something you really need a lot of and depending where your pull day is, it might tax you a lot for that. So it's just a consideration programming across the whole week. But, um, but with, with, with all those things like being considered, I think it's still like that thought process of like, just making sure you're using the bar apparatus you need to make it quad focused. You get a, a large range of motion at the knee, not a lot of hip pushback. You can stay upright with the core braced. If you can do those things, then, then you'll have a, a good setup. Um, with, within the squat itself, as far as like foot position goes, toes in out, um, as far as like what I've heard people like say, Hey, if you go wider or narrower, like you'll work more of like the lateralis or how do I get more quad sweep squatting? And it, as far as like least even EMG study that I've looked at, like foot, like toe positioning within the squat doesn't matter for different quad activations of the heads. All that matters is you bend the knee as much as you possibly can through that range of motion. Um, whether the toes are straightforward or slightly out, it won't matter. Going wide stance or narrow stance, it, it, it won't make a big difference, but it does because if you're wide stance, you might not get as much knee flexion. And so that's the limitation there. Um, so pick the stance in the foot position that allows you to move through the full range of motion of the knee. That would be yep. my, my advice on it. I would agree with that 100%. So we get, so there's some squat patterns. So I'd say like, hey, quad day, pick a squat pattern that fits with all this, all this criteria that Luke and I laid out. Um, and you probably want to rotate those squat patterns, which you don't need to do it every other week. You could run a mesocycle of six weeks of one, then rotate to the next squat pattern. As long as you're rotating in some manner, um, I think that 
that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I like rotating less often if you're a beginner, so you can build some efficiency in those movements. And then as you get more advanced, it makes a lot more sense, I think, to rotate more frequently. Um, but anyway, so number one, we have our squat. Then from there, we have some more juice left in the tank. Ideally, we, like, we talked about like how many exercises should you even have. It should be enough to train the, the quad through every aspect that it can, it can function through, right? So uh, really, you could just do a squat, probably a leg press or leg extension, and that would cover mostly everything. I know some people say you wouldn't even need a leg extension because you're going to get some, some rec fim work in some of your other movements. Yep. Um, but to, to fully eke it out, you, you might do a leg, leg extension. <clears throat> I think it's good to get into that fully shortened though for rec fem, like hip flexed and knee extended because there's yeah. not one where you're really going to be doing that and challenging it, right? Like you could, because positionally like it's similar to the top of a leg press, right? Flex because of the seat pad, but you know, leg straight, but you're stacked joint. So you're not challenging the, yeah. the muscles. I would make the argument that quad extension squat pattern and always be in there. And then your leg press is just based on where can you output the most, get into the best position and neurally connect with your quads to create an internal stimulus, which is where like leg press now becomes a very flexible movement choice. And so it's like, you have someone that has access to a Cybex squat press with long pegs. Like that's a pretty good option because of the way it moves. It typically allows for people to hit depth pretty easy. Yeah. Um, standard 45, you can always adjust according to someone's movement capacity. You can always band it as well in order to allow someone to hit depth as that's where they're having issues getting access or control. Um, which we could probably get into whether banded or non-banded leg press is a good idea here. I mean, I know you like the pendulum. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's I'll I'll rotate, I'll rotate around. Um, my thing with the pendulum is getting in it. It's a bitch. It, it is, um, and then to get in it, and and still you you, you kind of lose a little bit of range. You can once the loading gets high enough, because it's starting from the bottom position. So you get down and then it, it it's, and as you push up, it loads more of the shortened, shortened in the muscle. So, I mean, it kind of meets that criteria of what you're getting out of a leg extension. Um, so, I mean, that, that's an option, but I think to mimic that, um, and the pattern is kind of nice too, because it, it arches and, it can easily get you more range of motion at the knee that way. Yeah. I think the best variation of the horizontal leg press is the Rogers hip press though. Okay. Because it's the mid rack. So you rack it mid, mid rep. And so it's like a leg press where you unrack it and then you go into the rep. I've never used one. So I don't know. Game changer. Oh shit. <laughs> it'll be like, if I ever build a facility, it'll be the first piece I buy. Damn, it's that good. Yeah, we need to tell Roland then. Like, hey, we need we need to get this. I need to go try one. <laughs> Where we have, I think there's one in New Braunfels that said some gym up there. So when it comes to like the leg press, like I'm looking more for where do these people move the best in, and then picking that leg press pattern. 
according to that because we've probably mostly addressed everything we need to address within plot extension and squat. Yeah. yeah, I think same idea. If you know you, you can can for one, you're gonna be why why go leg leg press second? It's like you're moving from a pattern that requires a lot of racing, has a lot of systemic fatigue that it creates. But, and so you're, you, you could be a little bit more taxed. So we're now moving into a more stabilized position. position. So the, you can brace the core easier. The, the, it's, it's basically not going to move. You're only going to be moving at, at the hips and knee joints. Um, so it's it's much safer aspect to go to. But I think from uh, most people will have like a 40 or 45 degree leg press, which you see people that unrack it at the very top. They're just like, it's like quarter reps. You know, you're not going down much. And you can use a ton of weight. So that should tell you right now, like at the very top of the leg press, you're very, very strong um, because joints are getting closer to be stacked and it's a mechanical advantage. So that's the idea of why I would use a band on the leg press because to match that, that profile. So it's going to, it'll, it'll be harder out of the bottom. And then as you get to the top, it'll get easier. So you can use that with a band to try to match that to where it's, you know, from the bottom to the top, it's just as hard. And so you can make each rep as effective in, in tension across the span of, of the active contact to contractile range. Um, and, and arguably, do you need it? Does it make it that much better? I don't know. It's hard to say, honestly. We don't have a ton of research to say. We have a few, few studies. Um, but I think once you get to the advanced level, and like every rep matters, and we only have so many sets in our arsenal to do, and to make each, each one as much as possible out, out of every rep, I, I think it, it will matter. Uh, for like a beginner or something, I don't think you need to band your leg press, like just doing them is gonna be plenty of stimulus, but reaching up into that high intermediate advanced level where like, hey, one rep on a set is gonna make a difference if we're getting a good growth stimulus or not. I think maximizing those, those avenues is what we should be doing. We won't have research on it because the, the to put together like 10 high level bodybuilders and have them do something like this, it's just not gonna happen. Um, but anecdotally, we've seen guys that are very, very big, very, very strong, and they're using these approaches and they're progressing. So I'll weigh into that evidence and lean into it. It also makes a lot of sense just logically, so. Yeah, because you're now taking the opportunity to get the most output out of the pattern by close, hmm matching closer strength curve resistance profile once we've addressed kind of end ranges um especially like the mid to lengthened end range that the squat pattern addresses right right on. Uh, so well, that, that hits the short short end of the, of the muscle pretty well yeah yeah so sequencing wise like that starts to get into building a session we mentioned one where it's like quad extension first because you just can't feel your quads i think there's a lot of ways to build up the session structure for quad training, depending on the person. Um, so a couple explanations, like just to kind of lay out some frameworks for people, I think is a smart idea. You kind of touched on the wide squat before leg press perfectly. Don't yeah. think anything needs to be said there. Um, no, should, I, should, should I touch leg extension just so it's included within what you're going to like completely. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Here? yeah let's um, go ahead. Uh, so like after like the squat, you need to eke out more out of your quads. So you go to your leg press and then you've 
you know, eked out everything you can out of your leg press, and then you still need, maybe at that point, you still need some type of further volume to continue growing quads and need more stimulus, but you, you now you like have already have a little bit of fatigue. So we now can move to our isolation exercise, which would be where a leg extension would fit well. Yeah. Um, we can also like, we know hypertrophy rep range wise, like, you know, probably staying within that six to 12 reps is where we want a lot of our work. And those like your squat caters well to that. I think your leg press moves up a little bit, 12 to 15 reps probably. And then your leg extension, you could get into even the higher rep ranges, which we know are really good for hypertrophy. Um, also, high rep ranges, is, I think, cater well versus doing like a 20 rep set on a squat versus a leg extension is a lot different thing. And then we can also take advantage of probably some other areas, whether they're just uh, side effects of mechanical tension or they're actually drivers of hypertrophy within themselves of trying to get like some metabolic stress cell swelling um and, and take take that avenue for for hypertrophy or we just want to fucking pump you know uh, but anyway the the leg extension would be next because we can train the muscle fully shortened it's not the best movement as a first exercise because we are only training the movement fully shortened and we know training more mid-range lengthen is your best for force production and, and also hypertrophy but uh i i I've seen some, like, at least it's just EMG research on, like, looking at the rectus femoris in the squat, in the leg press, and it, it doesn't get act, activated nearly as much as just doing, like, a, a leg extension. So with the leg extension, you, you can get, I think, more rectus femoris out of it, use, utilizing it. So it kind of does tie in the full quad development. Um, I would agree. You know, I think uh, just, you know, as far as setup within it, um, at least in my issue with like adductors and how I kind of normally like I'm, I'm kind of externally rotated anyway all the time um, is I'll align myself single leg in it to where I can align up my knee, ankle and hip to where I don't have this like external rotation as I'm coming up in the, in the leg extension. And because um, some people get some knee pain, and I think a lot of that is that for one, you need to align the knee joint with where the pivot point is on the leg extension. Yep. And as far as where the ankle pad is set up, I don't think that matters quite as much because it's just on the tibia anyway. Um, but as far as when you're moving to the top of the squat, your top of your patella should be pointing up and not out because otherwise it would be kind of binding at the, at the knee. So I align myself in the leg extension to have that set up to prevent like the knee pain and stuff that can be going on. Uh, if you, you have any other tips or you disagree with that or agree or. <laughs> I agree. I think what people miss out on is like laying back, not realizing that this pulling your chest up, kicking back in the seat is not only creating leverage, but creating rotation where you start to catch a lot of that knee pain as well. Yeah. Okay. So like finding that counter force and pulling it down and forward to lock that position will actually kind of help you keep that patella in a straighter alignment as well. For those of us that don't have John Jewett adductors um, can probably get into a two-legged or a bilateral position where you can align it pretty well. Um, and the last portion would just be um, dorsiflexing, dorsiflexing while performing the quad extension as like the last piece. Yeah. explain that explain the dorsiflexion yeah why what like why why because it's 
going to like, that's the position. I, uh, I do it from like a gate cycle perspective because we should be in the dorsiflex position when we pull up into what's called a sprinter pose. And you'll see people who lack dorsiflexion do that in the quad extension. So like I'm the prime example of this. I can't fully dorsiflex when I do a quad extension, but that's because I lack ankle mobility. And so we should be driving that dorsiflexion while in that quad extension pattern. I was thinking of it as like a, a stabilization component throughout the knee and ankle. Yeah. Because you're like, okay. if you're, I didn't know if that's what you meant by it or it was, you had some, there was like this something that increased quad activation by like kicking your, you know, your feet oh. up or something. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I could, I could see that. Um, as far as like, if you're all limp ankle and you're like, maybe like it, it would, um, increase just like stability doing it. But, um, I think the last thing that people might end with was like, Hey, I do lunges at the end of my workout. Um, which the difference between a squat and a lunge is that it pretty much is the same thing in a sense, as far as like the front leg working quad, if this is our focus, um, you know, positioning wise, it, you can shift around just like you can on a squat to hit different aspects. Of course, in the lunge, you you have like that back leg coming back, which could train more of the rec fem in the lengthened state, uh-huh. which uh, is an area that if you need like rec fem development um, is, is an aspect that we're not training with these other, other movements. So I think it's important to get into. Um, I think where you get into it is, is also important consideration. So if you're doing lunges at the very, very end of your workout, you're moving to a, a more complex movement that requires a lot of bracing and the output is going to be more challenging because of that bracing and lack of stability. When you already don't have great bracing stability being so fatigued, that's probably not the best place to put your lunge. Um, a, a lunge doing first? Well, I still don't know if that's a, a great hypertrophy aspect because of the, the other reasons I mentioned. I think the lunge has uh, its, its place in trying to train the, the function of uh, like what we've talked about. If you're having like knee travel in or out or, or you know, more of a functional aspect. Um, or if you, you wanted something like that, it needs, I would think having it more braced. So like a split squat in the Smith machine, where you can like have some good bracing throughout. Um, or maybe it's a Bulgarian split squat where you have a dumbbell and you can grab a rack and that way everything is a little bit more braced and maybe you're staying in the higher rep range as well. So the loading component is as high, uh, that, that could be something better than like a walking lunge at the, at the end of the workout. Um, so yeah, I think, I think you do it that way. I think you could do like a squat pattern. Then maybe you could do some type of like Bulgarian split squat. Um, and maybe you don't have a leg press. Right. And so you do it that way. Um, could be a way to move through it, but I just, I said, don't have a lot of lunge work in, in my, my programming because of those reasons. But I think it's something that we should get into just to train the unilateral aspect and also train that that rec frame getting getting back and into uh hip extension with a little bit of knee flexion but yeah i I would agree i think the walking lunge is more of a tester or i'm trying to specifically drive some sort of functional adaptation then i would go split squat as your next best opportunity to train output single leg and then single leg leg press as your highest opportunity to 
train output on a single leg, but you don't get the stretch of the rec fem on the back end with a single leg leg press. That's the only downfall. So output purposes of a split squat, if that's the goal, the, the framework of the split squat, I would argue, barring there's no issues, uh, rear foot elevated, moderate heel, heel elevation, safety bar squat in a rack, hanging onto the rack. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. That's a lot of shit to set up to do that. Up. Yeah. I just, At that point, I'm probably if I want that much output, I'm just going to single leg leg press <laughs> instead of setting all that up. Yeah, that back but, leg, I've done this, and I tore both my rec fins using yeah. a split squat as an output movement um, because it's so so complex to do. And I think it's too complex to carry into the high higher ends of loading and output. And uh, it, you, just, you just shouldn't go there with it. I, that's, I don't think that's a great purpose from what we're doing in bodybuilding. I agree. But like if that would be the setup if we were setting up a split squat for yeah. output purposes. You had but, no, no other choice. <laughs> yeah, like there's no leg press and you got a single leg output. Like that's what I'm doing. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you could even argue it as like if you had maybe some type of development uh, discrepancy, but I still think yeah. there's a lot more to talk about there, but you, you could do like, hey, do the weak leg first and do the other one. But this wouldn't be something that you're taking because within that you need to take it like sub, sub maximal effort levels to make sure these discrepancies aren't causing like compensations. But anyway, that's like a rabbit hole. So let's uh, – Let's get to the, our wrap up of uh, going through these movements and how how you would lay them out because you were about to say that. Then we went like leg extension and, and <laughs> but I think that covered pretty much the exercise that and, and why we would choose the ones we choose. So yeah, um, so ideal scenario is I'm probably honestly most people lack hamstrings that lack quads. So ideal scenario session setup is some type of hamstring curl into a squat pattern into a leg press finishing with a quad extension. Yeah. If they need to load a stretch position of somewhere around the hip complex in order to access depth, but they don't have any pain and they connect well with their quads, I'm probably loading an adductor first. So eccentrically loading an adductor um, in order to gain that end range access and then squatting. Um, I know Nick does this a lot as well, or you could possibly eccentrically load some of those things around the hip complex in a preparatory fashion, instead of doing like actual working set work with it um, as like secondary. And then I was going to ask you that because if you think doing like failure sets on an adduction machine, when the adductors have so much role in like hip oh, extension, out of the hole yeah. of a squat that it's going to limit your squat or your stability component at the knee. I would, I would argue that yes, it would, which is why I tend to load stretch in a preparatory fashion. Yeah. Cossack squat, get the adductor loaded into these stretch positions, split squat for rec fem, things along those lines within prep, a couple yeah. other things. Um, and then still follow the same session structure of ham curl to squat. Um, and then pain, so need to lower output on the squat pattern because of pain or need to teach someone how to contract a squat or contract a quad is quad extension first for me. Yeah, no, I agree. 
I think that can still be done in like a preparatory activation standpoint. If you're worried about de decreasing force output in your squat, because it's not with the idea of like, if you, you pre-fatigue quads, you might limit your loading in the squat, the external loading. However, if you have a squat pattern that you go into and you're like, I can't feel my lot, feel a lot of like glutes, like that might help you within that. Um, maybe even having some of that pre-fatigue there. But it goes back to our conversation. If you're, you're picking a squat where you don't get a lot of quad anyway, well, we should probably make sure you have a good squat set up in the first place. But I, I think where that comes in is like, hey, we found the best squat pattern for you and you still don't get a lot of quad out of it, then maybe we should have a leg extension done first. Um, or it might even be that leg press could be done first in the higher rep range because we load the shortened. And then you also have a movement where you can get some high output into. But I would want to make sure your, your squat pattern would be also kind of braced after that too. Yep. Um, but, I, but ideally, I, I agree. I think it's going like having prep work that sets you up to squat. And then from there, we move to a more brace, like leg press position. And then from there, we like just finish it off, everything we got with, with a leg extension. Oh, and uh, <clears throat> like Luke said, like leg curling first, like it, no, no one, there's no one around that has like bigger hamstrings than quads. Like I'm yet to see it. Like their hamstrings are just that fucking good. Um, so for one, it's an easy way just to train hams, but I don't have any other good explanation of why it's just makes the squat feel better. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, if it's like, Hey, you pump your hams up and you just like, uh, you know, gives, provide some like ham, ham to calf or if there's something within like ACL stability, I, I have no clue. I don't know. Do you have anything? Um, I would argue that it would pull blood to the adductor a little bit just because of, especially if you're cueing internal rotation with the leg curl. Yeah. Uh, you'd catch some adductor magnus there. And so possibly that could be why you're gaining a little bit of access without driving a lot of adductor fatigue, like direct adductor work. Maybe. Yeah. That's I don't know. I, that. Um, I think if you did unilateral legs, like lying single leg, it would be even more adductor because we're having to stabilize the pelvis. But yeah. Um, yeah, other than that, I don't really have a good explanation. No, that's okay. Uh, I think uh, the, the best one is that people always need hamstrings. So put, put it first and it's not taxing. It's not an RDL and then go into your squat patterns. Uh, yeah. Credit to John Meadows. So we give a shout out there because that, that I read that article on T nation Dang. years ago. And he said, leg curl first because hamstrings suck on everyone, but also it makes your knees feel better when you squat. And he had no explanation. He said that he's like, I don't have any science but just I've coached so many people and that's what everyone says. So that was good enough for me. And I like to listen to people that have lifted for like 20 plus years on what they have to say to keep lifting for another 20 years. So that's why I, I still uh, program it in. But uh, anyway, I, I think, no, I think that gives a great framework for, for quad training and talking through it. So I think we covered it well, man. <laughs> 100% and tangible things to take away and go use for people as well. No, for sure. All right, guys. I hope you all enjoy these uh, these quad training. 
in hypertrophy ones. I know everyone wants us to like go through every body part and we eventually will. <laughs> so, uh, if there's like a real standout body part that y'all want to have us hit next, leave it in the comments. If you're listening to this on YouTube, if you're on like Spotify or iTunes or something, go to YouTube and you can put it in this description and we'll maybe, uh, take all those votes and tally them and we'll have a precise counting system that will tell us which one that we'll hit next. But Anyway, uh, thanks guys for listening, tuning in, and we will talk to you next time.